Welcome to the Campus Christian Fellowship Podcast for the University of Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Northern Iowa. First Corinthians chapter 8, this is verses 1 through 6. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to, eating, uh, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, for, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So let's try to dig into what's this cultural issue? What, what are they talking about when they're talking about food offered to idols? Because... This may be something that you've realized or maybe haven't realized. This isn't really an issue that we face. We don't really have this problem. We don't have to deal with food that has been offered to idols. But in Corinth, at this point in time, they did. It's, it's a really big uh, pagan city, a multicultural city, a city with a lot of different religions. Um, and because it's a pr- predominantly Greek city, a bunch of different gods. And one of the ways that they worship those gods is via animal sacrifice. It's, it's something that the Jews did to worship God. Um, it's something that at that point in time the Greeks did to worship their gods. And, and so essentially what happens is you bring in your animal. Um, it, for this region, probably like cows, lambs, th- those kind of things. It's like those are the animals that they have around. And they bring them in. They get sacrificed up on an altar. Um, it's mostly about the blood is the main point of that sacrifice. So when they, you know, they slit the animal's throat, the blood goes out. Sorry, didn't warn you that it was going to be a little bit graphic. And they, they offer up that blood sacrifice to the gods. But then they also, sometimes, it, it depends on the type of worship, they might also offer the meat up as a sacrifice. And so what they would do is often they would boil the meat and like that kind of, as the steam rose from the boiled meat, that was considered like offering that up to the God. Also, they would render the fat out, and sometimes they would burn the fat away in the fire, and that would be part of the offering to the God and those kind of things. But what generally happens is there's still meat left over. It's not like they're offering this whole animal to the gods, and they're expecting the gods to eat the meat. They kind of know enough to know, we're going to have this meat left. They could throw it in the fire, but it's not really great to throw away good, usable, edible meat. And so a lot of times what they do is they turn around, well, They'd eat what they could, the, the priests that were doing the sacrifices, the priestesses, um, whatever they happen to be. They would get some of that meat for themselves, for their family, or if they're by, the, you know, whatever. And then they'd take the extra and they'd sell it in the marketplace. They didn't necessarily do the selling themselves. They'd, like, give it to a butcher shop, and then the butcher shop would sell it, but they'd get some money for it. So they'd have this meat that was already part of an animal sacrifice. And so the Christians in Corinth are going... Is it okay to eat this food? And this may seem like something that's, I don't know, that, that we easily discount. 
But I think it's kind of a big deal for their time. For one, uh, if you read through Acts, there's a point in time when there's this Council of Jerusalem where they're talking about what do we do with all these, there's all these Gentiles coming to the church and what should we do? What should we, uh, how should we instruct them to live? Like, do they need to get circumcised? Do they not need to get circumcised? There's this thing that's known as the Council of Jerusalem that discusses what should we do with all these Gentiles coming to the church? And they gave them a couple things like, we want you to be sexually moral, so we want you to follow kind of the Jewish sexual morality or laws. Um, you don't need to get circumcised. You don't need to follow our strict kosher laws. But in terms of food, go ahead and refrain from eating meat that's been sacrificed to the gods, to, to given to idols. And so that's actually laid out in Acts. That's one of the things that Gentiles are to avoid as they come into the church. And some cities, that works just fine. It's no big deal. In Corinth, it's kind of an issue because most of the church in Corinth, it's people that don't have a lot of access to resources. Christianity gets pretty big with slaves a lot of times, and there's a lot of slaves throughout the Roman Empire. And there'd be a lot of slaves in Corinth at being a major popular, popular city. But there's these poor people and there's kind of one time or only a few times out of the year that they have the opportunity to buy meat. And that's basically around holidays, major Greek pagan festivals, when lots of people are bringing in animals to have them sacrificed in the temples, and then the temples are turning around and selling that meat in the marketplace. And what happens is there's suddenly this huge spike in the amount of meat available for sale. And for those of you that study economics, big supply, what happens? Price goes down. If the demand stays the same, the price is going to lower. And so these times of these festivals is one of the few times out of the year that the poor people can actually afford to buy meat. But it's very likely that most of the meat that they can buy is meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And so they're writing to Paul saying, we've heard about the Jerusalem council and we've heard all about all those things, but quite frankly, this is the only time out of the year that our people can buy meat because we've got a lot of poor people in our church and, and they need the, the ability to, to get food that has protein that, that can be really good for building muscle and all that stuff. We, can, we don't need to get in the nutrition feeding meat. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being a vegetarian. I'm just saying at their point in time, there wasn't a whole lot of like non-animal high protein products available to poor people. Meat was their best option. These times of the year were the best times they had to buy meat. But most of the people that are selling the meat in the marketplace really don't give a rip if the food's been sacrificed to idols or not. They just want their money. And they have all this supply. They're selling it at this lower discount. They're just trying to move that meat out and get the profits that they can. And so they don't really care if it's meat that's been sacrificed or not. And not only that, but it gets to be kind of a pain to be like, I'm sorry, is, was that sacrificed to an idol or is that like totally okay? Like... Nobody really cares, and so nobody really bothers to notice. And so for them, it's really hard to judge and, and to be like a big stickler of, well, I can only buy this kind of meat. And there's a good chance that a butcher like realizes that, hey, they're only buying this specific kind of meat, so I'll just make sure that that's the meat I sell for way more. And then suddenly the poor people can't buy it again. So they're trying to figure out, what do we do? Because they've noticed something. With all of Paul's teachings, with all of what Scripture says, these idols are really nothing. They're just statues that people have made that they've chosen to worship. They say, these idols aren't truly gods. They're pretty meaningless. So why does it matter if the animal has been slaughtered over here in a temple versus in a butcher shop? 
The idols are nothing. The gods are nothing. We believe there's one God and we worship him. So can we eat this meat? So Paul starts to think through, well, maybe, maybe there's an answer here. So let's just move on to the next part of, of chapter 8, verses 7 to 13. However, not all possess this knowledge, uh, but some, through former association with idols, eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are now worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, have, you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So Paul says, yeah, you guys had this issue, and frankly, you're right. Those gods, those idols, they're nothing. You can eat that meat because it really doesn't matter. But here's where it gets sticky. Pay attention to your brother around you. Pay attention to your fellows in the church. And for them, if it's difficult to eat that meat, if it makes th them think about all the times that they were in the temple sacrificing to idols, and it makes them want to go back to that lifestyle and worship those gods, it's better to just not eat the meat. You have the freedom to do it, but you have the responsibility to care about your brother. And there's this tricky thing, too, because he keeps talking about knowledge. And, and he starts off the, the passage talking about how, how love is, is really important. Um, and that love is what we should be expressing to one another. And so Paul then says, basically, if you love your brother, don't eat the meat if it's going to cause them to stumble. Again, this not not an issue we have in our culture. Not a problem that we have in the church. We're not having to worry about buying meat in the marketplace that was sacrificed to, to an idol. But what are, what are some issues that we do have? What are some things that, that maybe we're aware that we have the freedom to practice, but... But if someone sees us doing it, they're going to go, oh, well, I guess I could do that too. And it becomes a stumbling block for them. It becomes sinful for them. It becomes something that, that hurts them. That maybe I know I've got the freedom. I might have that knowledge, but I shouldn't use that knowledge to, to live in a way that makes others stumble. I should express love instead of my knowledge, and not hold that over them and, and, and look down upon them because they're weak or because they, don't, they aren't aware of their freedom. I should express love and, and help them to follow Christ. So in the next chapter, Paul starts kind of talking about himself. Um, he kind of talks about how he's an apostle, and, and they can verify that he's an apostle because there's this whole kind of sticky thing where people are like, well, Jesus wasn't one of the, or Paul wasn't one of the 12 disciples that hung out with Jesus, so he must not be an apostle. But Paul's like, I am an apostle because when I was on the road to Damascus, I saw Jesus. And so he's kind of got this whole explanation, this whole story. I, by the way, I do believe that Paul's an apostle. I'm not dismissing that. I'm just saying the thing I want to talk about tonight that makes more sense is later on in chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, because I think this really touches upon the main essence of what Paul's trying to tell them here. 
It says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself, being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share that I may share with them in its blessings. So this is one of those passages, um, and you may have noticed this kind of earlier in the passages that that Paul sometimes uh, gets really wordy. And the crazy thing is, he's wordy enough in the English. It's actually more difficult to understand in the Greek because um, Greek doesn't have like punctuation the way that we do. And they really love run-on sentences. And most English translations create, like, for every, like, one of Paul's sentences, we make, like, three. Because that's the way that English flows. And we don't like run-on sentences. And, and we want it to be more understandable. Yeah, Paul keeps just, like, repeating these words and repeating these things and, and you know, concepts that he just keeps, like, explaining in a new way. And I think it's because he really wants to hammer in what he's trying to do. And he's saying... There's this knowledge about the freedom that we have, but there's lo- this love that we need to express. And so if I have to restrict my freedoms in order to reach more people for the gospel, then that's absolutely worth it, and that's something that I want to do because I want to reach as many people as possible. And so when I'm preaching to Jews, I make sure that I live life under the law like a Jewish person would so that I don't become a stumbling block to them, so that they don't look down on me or think less of me because I'm not a good Jew. I follow those laws, even though I know that under Christ, a lot of those things have have changed. But to the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to reach the Jews. When when I'm with Greeks, I'll, I'll hang out with them, but I don't necessarily want to engage in those pagan practices that I know I've got freedom to go ahead, and, and I know they actually are meaningless, that they're really not worshiping anything. But if it causes these Greeks to stumble and start to worship those gods again, then I don't want to act like that. And it's interesting that sometimes he blends in in order to, to be, best reach a crowd, and sometimes he intentionally stands out to best reach that crowd. Sometimes it's living with the culture that helps reach the culture, and sometimes it's living counterculturally. It makes them go, something's different with that guy. And one of the things I love about Paul that I really appreciate with this passage is how much he pays attention to the culture around him, how much he, he really notices, okay, they're living like this here, and that's something that I can totally adapt to and live alongside with and follow those practices because that's going to preach to them what, what the gospel is. The gospel is for you. It takes these things, and, and God can use these things for good. And then he looks at other cultures and says, you've got some good things, you've got some redeemable things, but there's these couple things over here that just don't fit with what God's doing. And those are not practices that we should be following. So I'm going to stand in direct opposition to them. I'm going to stand apart from them so that you'll see that God is different, that things about God are different. He's a different kind of God than you've worshipped before. 
And that'll communicate the gospel to you, that this is a God who loved you so much to die for you, to take away all that mess that you think you have to engage in in order to worship your gods, but really, you can leave it behind. And so I think Paul's paying attention, and he's looking for those things that, okay, this lifts up. Let's do it. It's the gospel. This, this tears down. Let's stand against it. That's the gospel. And I think that's something that we need to keep in mind as we live our lives out on campus. There are things that we can totally go along with, that we can say, yeah, there's gospel here. I love how much you guys care for people and, and, and the ways that you, that you view others and, and you try to be equitable and you try to be compassionate. The gospel is found there. Let's do those things. Let's do those things together. But there's other ways that you look out on campus and you see, man, people are just treating each other like dirt. And they're uh, taking advantage of other people. And they're living like completely for themselves. Like they're so focused on, on how they can, they can just enjoy their own life that they don't realize how much they're hurting those around them. We should stand against that. That's not the gospel. We should make a point to say no to that. That's not what Jesus would have us do. And in the process of doing this, there are times when we're, we may have to give up our own freedoms. That we may feel like, well, honestly, biblically, it's okay for me to go do that. It's okay for me to go to that party. It's okay for me to hang out with these people. It's okay for me to be seen in this place, to be at a bar. I'm not trying to just like make alcohol the thing, but it's probably going to come up when you guys are talking. There's freedom in that, assuming you're the legal age. By the way, follow the law. That's very important. I do want to point that out. It's one of the things that we kind of need to stay in the right lane. Yeah, so, so there, may be, there may be context. There may be places where you find yourself where... Um, you know, you're, you're of age. It's totally legal. So maybe you know you've got the freedom to consume alcohol because you're of age. But maybe you showing up at a bar most nights out of the week, even if you're only having a little bit and you just enjoy the atmosphere or they have pub trivia or whatever, whatever reason you find yourself there. If other people realize that you're hanging out at the bar every night, they might go, I don't know if this person is making good life decisions. Or they might go, oh, cool. Like, being a Christian means you get to hang out at the bar every night. And so they overconsume, and there's plenty of problems. You know, alcohol poisoning and poor decisions that come from being drunk and can lead to alcoholism, which causes a lifetime of problems. So it's one of those things you need to be conscious of. How are you living out the freedom that you have? Are you being responsible with it? Are you caring about your, your brother and sister in Christ who might notice and say, oh, I guess I could do that. And for them, it becomes sinful behavior. For them, it becomes negative. For them, it becomes problems to others. There's other examples. Uh, I'm going to encourage you guys to think of other examples um, because I'm not going to give you the answers because that's no fun. But those are the things to think about. That's, I think, what Paul is largely talking about. Yeah, we don't have to worry about buying meats or when we go to to buy meat, we don't have to worry if it was sacrificed in a temple to Artemis or Apollo or some other pagan god. We can just eat the meat. But we've got some other issues that we need to put that lens up to and say, okay, maybe I can do this. Maybe I've got the freedom in Christ to do this. 
but maybe I shouldn't. And maybe in order to reach others or to help my brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe I never should. Hey, thanks for checking us out and spending some time with us this week. Quick reminder, if you're a student at Iowa State, University of Northern Iowa, or University of Iowa, we would love to connect you with a campus minister. So reach out to ccf.uiowa at gmail.com, and we will make sure we get you connected. Be sure to specify your school in an email. Additionally, if you have questions about anything you've heard today or anything that's on your mind, we would love a chance to answer that here anonymously. So you can also just drop a line there. Again, that is ccf.uiowa at gmail.com. We hope Hope you have a great week and please know that we are praying for you.